You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. Hello, age disruptors. Today, I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience and all of you attending this recording are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. And part of being this really cool club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they're recorded and ask your own questions. And if you want to be a part of this amazing community, you just go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hack My Age and sign up not only for these really great interviews, but you get free breath work and meditation classes and private consultations, downloads, and a whole lot of other cool stuff. So let's get to our guest today. Um, and if you've been following the Biohacking Women 50 Plus Club in Clubhouse, this is our group. You probably already know Sandy Cruz and heard all her pearls of wisdom. And today she's going to talk to us about how chronic stress affects our thyroid health and how to identify thyroid dysfunction. And then what do we do about it? And Sandy is a registered holistic nutrition nutritionist. And this is not your ordinary nutritionist. She is really uniquely trained in, in things that she studied, everything that's scientifically fundamental, such as pathology and chemistry, anatomy. And she's taken a real deep dive into symptomatology, which totally comes in handy for our talk on thyroid issues today. And what also makes her really special is that she is trained in how the body, mind, and spirit all connect. And this is where the holistic part comes in. And she's been working for many years, helping her clients who are mostly women over 40 years old, and she's helping them reach their goals, which can range from gut health, improving uh, their hormones and making them more balanced, lowering inflammation and thyroid health. And today's talk about thyroid and stress is particularly close to Sandy because she has faced her own battle with thyroid cancer, which I want her to share a little bit with us. And before we get started, though, especially since I mentioned the C word, um, I want to make this disclaimer that all advice here is for educational purposes only. So see your own practitioner for what's right for you. Now, without further ado, welcome, Sandy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Zora, for having me today. I re- I'm really want you to share your story because I, I know your story and you've shared it before, but I think people really need to hear how you got to the place where you are now as a holistic nutritionist and your, your battle with cancer as well. Can you share with us? Okay. Well, this is going back probably to my 30s. I was a new mom. I had a young three-year-old and a newborn, and I started to have weird symptoms. So I had already had one child. And with this child, you know, it took two years to lose the weight. It was your typical postpartum, little bit of baby blues, that sort of thing. But then when I had my daughter, this was at 35, things were really different. I wasn't sleeping. 
I wasn't eating well. I was extremely thin three months after I gave birth. I was 100% stressed out, like a lot of new moms are, right? And that's usually what the doctors say is they say, well, it's typical, you're a new mom, that's what you expect. And I noticed I didn't have enough milk supply. Whereas with my son, when I was nursing him, I had too much. And so I'm like, this is really weird. And then for many years, I went through weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss. And so the only thing I can do is I can surmise because testing was never done. And I can look back and go, okay, well, I had a lot of signs of postpartum thyroiditis. And then later going back and forth to the hypo, hyper, hypo, hyper. And then at 41, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And by the time they found it, I had already had five nodules, one of which was cancerous. And this was almost exactly one year after my daughter was diagnosed with a malignant tumor at the age of five. So I can really delve deep into the stress aspect of it because I'm I'm not going to say cancer develops in a day. And I'm not going to say thyroid cancer develops in a day. It's many, many years. It's not something that is often detected, which is what I think happened to me because It's not like I got cancer in one day. If I look back in hindsight, I can say absolutely 100%. I had some weird symptoms that were overlooked when I was a mom for the second time. So you felt stress in a way that it was quite impactful with the second child. It wasn't. So the one that had the tumor, that was the first child. The second. It was the second. Oh, so you started feeling stress even before you found out your, your child had had a tumor. Yes. So she was a trauma birth. So she came out blue. This is quite typical. And I had a lot of postpartum issues afterwards. You know, I had to have a catheter. My husband was traveling every week for work. And so I was alone. And I remember she was only two weeks old and he's like, I got to go. Like, I got to, I got to work. I got to travel. And I'm like, okay. And I remember him traveling and I still remember that phone call. I remember being in our bedroom going, oh my God, like, I can't do this. Like here I am with a catheter and I had a toddler that was trying to step on the catheter. Like it was like, oh my God. Yeah. It was very stressful. And then my daughter who was the newborn, she had colic, she had severe eczema, She had all these issues that just, and she didn't sleep for eight months. Anybody who's a new mom would know when they have, you know, when you're burping your baby and then they just keep putting them down and then they keep throwing up. And so she was a really tough baby. And I could say that I was a hundred percent very stressed out. Yeah. It's a pity that doctors didn't really want to help you with this thing. It was just, oh yeah, you're a new mom. So of course you're going to be stressed. They didn't give you any tools or nothing. Wow. Nothing. And the thing is, is that, okay, so this would have been in 2005. I feel like at that time, there was a lot less advocacy for women than there is now. She's now 16 and healthy. And I thank God for that every day. But Back then, we didn't have that. It was suck it up, buttercup, 
like you're a new mom. This is what it's about. Then tell me, how was it that you made this connection that the thyroid cancer or was due to stress? So my daughter had soft tissue sarcoma. This would have been in 2010. And I probably for that time when she was diagnosed, you know, I don't really remember sleeping much. I remember barely even eating. I broke my foot at the same time and I refused to get a cast or treatment because I'm like, I got to drive her to appointments. And then what happened was I couldn't get an appointment with a specialist. This is a general surgeon to just to do a biopsy because this is before we knew that she had a malignant tumor. I couldn't get an appointment for over six months. And I said, no, like mom's intuition. I'm like, there's something wrong. This is not a simple fatty cyst. And it was kind of a bluish color. I'm like, this is wrong. And in the pit of my stomach, I was like, something's wrong. And then actually one of my husband's childhood friends operated on her and he took her in almost right away within a few days when we told him that we couldn't get an appointment at a children's hospital for six months. And then that's when it all kind of started. And then, you know, it was inconclusive and blah, blah, blah. So the stress was probably crazier than one could imagine when you find out that your child has a cancer at five. I was like, oh my God, like, what, what does this mean? It was just everything was thrown into the air. And so I actually got very, very skinny again during that time. And here I was taking a boot off, you know, one of those uh, casts, those air casts, I refused to get a proper cast, because I'm like, I got to drive her here, I got to, because my husband was working, he was the only one working. Then almost a year after I found it, and she had had two surgeries, and she was going every year for regular MRIs, and scans, I, I had a migraine with aura. And this was the first time in my life. I'm like, am I having a stroke? What's going on? And I just so happened to see my family doctor was not there. And I'm not going to speak ill will of anybody, but it was a substitute doctor. And she's like, this is not normal for a woman to just start getting migraines at 41. Let's do some real investigative testing. She did brain MRI. She did a carotid artery. And then when they did the carotid arteries uh, ultrasound, she's like, do you know that you, you have like five nodules and one of them was quite large. She's like, we need to do a fine needle biopsy. And that was when I hope I'm answering your question, but only one of the five nodules, which was tiny Zora, like we're talking six millimeters was cancerous. And this is where I believe the stress comes into play. So cancer and stress, I believe are very closely tied, a poor diet, poor sleep, all of those factors, I believe, is what made that one tiny little nodule that may have been there before turn and the cells to turn. So I hope that answered your question about stress. I, yeah, in the end, you know, it's, it's always hard, hard to, to say exactly what was it or what was the trigger. But after completing this mind body connection course at USC for my master's of gerontology, it's clear you could pick almost any disease and stress would lead to that. I mean, we, we yeah. have our, my final paper was just connect to make to make the connection, do the research, and I could choose 
any disease I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's you know, a lot of choice. So definitely, yes, stress has a huge impact on your health. I would like you to, because I want people who are concerned about thyroid or maybe their doctor mentioned to them something is not, not quite right with their thyroid, or maybe they're just hearing these words thyroid all over the place, and they really don't even know what is a thyroid. Maybe you can explain generally what is a thyroid and what is the function. So your thyroid gland is a butterfly shaped gland that is sort of lower to mid area on your neck. And it's it's not huge, but it does a lot. So your thyroid regulates your metabolism, it regulates your mood, it regulates your periods, it regulates even if you're hot or you're cold, it actually affects every single cell in your body which is why it's so important that it works properly and that it's balanced. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hack My Age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. Okay, so it's a, it's a pretty important function. Is the thyroid function different for men than it is for women? Okay, interesting you said that. It's not different for men than women. However, it's way more common for women to have thyroid disease than men. It's something like, oh my God, 10 times more common for a woman to have thyroid disease over a man. And there's no real definitive answer as to why. But they can surmise that women are okay. So women are more apt to have autoimmune disease, which most people know if they have Hashimoto's, that is 90% of hypothyroid conditions have Hashimoto's. So you can connect that. I also believe that we're way more complex than men. Sorry, guys, but we are. (laughs) And we have periods. And we have other functions in our body that can affect our thyroid functions, such as estrogen and progesterone. I'm not saying men don't have estrogen, but it's not the same as us. And there are actual estrogen receptors that can affect thyroid function. And this is something that is not a hundred percent studied yet, but you can find some studies where they're trying to find the connection with the estrogen receptors and thyroid. And one of the things is, is that when women go into menopause, what happens is our estrogen declines, it can affect thyroid function, and it can affect those receptors, it can slow the thyroid down. So yeah, there's a big difference between women and men, as it relates to thyroid. Do most women have most women lose their estrogen as we get older, right? We can say pretty much certainty that happens. So do most women also have thyroid issues as as they go into menopause? Not necessarily. Even when I talk to my endocrinologist, and I'm fortunate, I have an amazing endocrinologist. I'm like, listen, I'm 51. I'm close to menopause. There's got to be something going on with my thyroid because I, in the last year, I don't, I don't know if you could see, but I don't have a thyroid. So I've had some issues with regulation, even though my medications have stayed the same. I talked to my endocrinologist about that in terms of this up and down dysregulation of estrogens in my body. And is that affecting 
my thyroid right now? I'm going to say, yes, a lot of women do have thyroid dysregulation, even around menopause or sorry, perimenopause, I should say before menopause. But I think that really it kind of connects with the adrenals. So talked about stress, once your ovaries shut down and it's like, okay, guys, we're out of business. We're no longer producing your estrogen and your progesterone. Now your adrenal glands need to take over. And this is why it's very much a holistic approach. When you deal with a woman who's looking at thyroid, it's never just the thyroid. Let's look at the adrenals. What's going on there? Because once they are fully out of commission, meaning the ovaries, those adrenals better kick in and be strong. Otherwise, your estrogen is going to tank big time, as is your progesterone. You had thyroid dysfunction in perimenopause yourself. Yeah. How do they know? How can they detect what's the symptomology for a dysfunctional thyroid? So much. Zora, you mentioned weight gain or weight loss. That would, that's one of them. I think some people may not even make that connection. Yeah, it. You know what? Typically, if it's a typical situation, it's going to be weight gain. When we're talking about weight loss, that's hyperthyroidism, and that is often connected to Graves' disease, which is another autoimmune condition. So Graves is a totally on the other side of the spectrum. However, and people usually associate with Graves disease with heart palpitations, weight loss, jittery, unable to sleep. You can have Graves in the ocular area. So the eyes are bugged out more. So this is definitely more linked to the autoimmune condition Graves. That's hyper. I've been on that end of the spectrum and it's not pretty like that's the anxiety you've been on both ends, both ends. But I had a lot of issues with regulation and then being a nutritionist. I mean, God help my endocrinologist. Cause he's like, what are you trying now, Sandy? Right. <laughs> and so I have done certain things to try. I mean, I know we might get into this, but like to grow back my thyroid. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So I've done things and I have thrown myself to the other end of that spectrum. So we're talking needing gel to close my eyes so that I could sleep because my eyes were that severely bugging out and dry. And so that's one end, but the majority of women that I even see have the other end. And that is hypothyroidism, depression, also anxiety can come into play there as well. Hair loss, weight gain, when you feel like you've always got swollen and puffy hands. That's another sign. There are Oh, my God, I've seen clients who go in to their doctors with those symptoms and come out without proper thyroid testing, and a prescription for anti anxiety or that type of medication. I've actually seen that more than once. And it's like, hold on a minute. So all they checked was TSH, which is a thyroid stimulating hormone, which is not even technically a thyroid hormone. It's the hormone. It's still important, but it's the hormone in the pituitary gland to signal to your thyroid, Hey, time to make some T4. So what would then what testing should someone do if they, if they're suspected? And I mean, the problem is, is that you, they're trusting their doctor, but if you want to challenge and you, what would they ask the doctor to do? I would a hundred percent say TSH number one, very important. And most women, most people 
feel better and best between a one and a two in TSH. The range can be very wide. So it can be here in Canada, I think it's 0.3 all the way up to 5.0. And this is in Canadian measurements. I'm not sure if the US or Europe is the same, but you can probably find that out on Google. You can do the conversion. But I know for myself, I've had undetectable TSH. So if you could go below zero, it was below zero. And that's where the jitteriness, the heart palpitations, but I feel wonderful when I'm just under a two, you know, anywhere around 1.5, I feel great, balanced energy, I can exercise, my weight is stable, that sort of thing. So that's the first measurement. Free T4 is really important because It is the initial amount of thyroid hormone that must be converted to T3 to the active form. So you need free T3, free T4, both. Then in order to know whether or not your issues are related to autoimmune disease, you need to know antibodies. It's very important. But then what can happen is all those things can look beautiful. But then if you're not checking reverse T3, which is often very high in people with chronic stress, you're missing an important piece here in Canada. They don't check that. So I always explain reverse T3, like, you know, back in the day when we used to go to the bars, you'd have the bouncers at the bar that wouldn't let you in. So reverse T3, when it's really high, those are the bouncers and they are blocking your cells. That thyroid hormone can't get into the cell. So everything else can look okay. But if that reverse T3 is high, we got a problem. What would that problem be like Hashimoto's? Stress. So everything else might look okay. But if all those beautiful thyroid hormones aren't getting to the cellular level and getting into the cell, then you're going to experience issues. You'll probably be experiencing lingering, I call them lingering thyroid issues. So I've obviously I've been there too. And um, that could be where you're just not feeling yourself like you just feel a little more tired than usual. You just feel like, you know, oh, I feel a little bit more bloated and swollen. And I'm retaining water. So it's a really delicate balance, the thyroid. So this is a good diagnosis of a recommendation for people who go to the doctor, not feeling great, not feeling themselves. And then their thyroid is checked with just the TSH or even the T3 and the T4 and everything turns out fine, but they still go home thinking, oh, I don't feel right. That's when you would say, go and check your free T3. That's where you would go and check your reverse T3. Oh, sorry, reverse, reverse, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. The reverse the free T3. And your antibodies, for sure. Because the, the problem in, at least in North America, I think it's also in the US here in Canada, is that they just look at one measurement and it's not good enough. And if you're getting just your TSH tested and you walk out with a prescription for anti-anxiety or SSRI of some sort, and you don't want to go on that. So I am not knocking people who need that medication whatsoever. All I'm saying is that if it doesn't feel right, then you'll have to advocate for yourself to dig a little deeper. So say you dig a little bit deeper and yes, your reverse T3 is off and you go, aha, that's a stress issue. So is that person headed towards Hashimoto's and they can't reverse that? Or what, what, what is the next step after you figure that part out? You have to work with a f- 
functional medicine doctor or a holistic health practitioner to help your body learn how to deal with that stress. So we can't change certain aspects in our life. If we have teenagers or we have a failing marriage or um, a sick child, we can't always control that. But what we can control is how is that stress going to affect our body? And what can we do to mitigate that stress? Sometimes we just can't take it away. I've heard a lot of times, you know, you see people are like, oh, well, take away your stress. Well, I mean, I've been there where I couldn't take away my stress, but had I known better, maybe I would have used some adaptogenic herbs. Maybe I would have done things to nourish my adrenal glands, such as liposomal vitamin C or sole water. You know, we talked about that last week. That's mineralized water. There's so many things that you can do to just help the body deal with that stress. And then there's sleep. Are you sleeping? A lot of times people aren't sleeping because they're majorly stressed. So I'm like, take some melatonin, start with micro dosing. Maybe you need a little bit more depending on you. Everybody's unique. I've been microdosing melatonin for over 10 years. Yeah. And no, sleep is super important. And there's so, it's so related to stress. The people who, who I've worked with before is just well, they're not sleeping because they're stressed out. So we need to, it's a two-prong approach. You work on one and then the other one falls in place. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, because you brushed on the possibility of regrowing your thyroid. Is your thyroid completely gone? And could you? Completely. Zara, you know me and you know, I'm a very big believer in energy it's not our whole body health is not just about what we take. And if we're meditating, and if we're going for our walks, and if we're exercising, there's so much more. So there's a company, they do some really heavy duty, like scholar charged energetic castor oil, they do some salts, I actually have some back here in my cabinet, that is so pure. I think that you'd be hard pressed to find more pure sources. So I was doing these castor oil packs on my neck pack. What do you mean? You're not drinking it? No. Cause if you drink it, you can have some explosive results. So I, I don't usually recommend that, but typically you use an organic flannel and you can make these packs that are soaked in this castor oil and people do it actually even on their gut for gut health, but it has to be a very clean, clean source of castor oil and you leave it there to soak. And then I would rub it on there. And then I was taking some supplements, but that was actually the time that I went very, very hyper. So even though technically I don't have a thyroid at all, I think it did something with my medications, meaning it just really woo, like threw me over the edge. So since then I've kind of stopped because I'm really balanced right now and I just don't want to mess. So that's what I've done. Yeah. I don't remember who said this. It was maybe in a clubhouse. Maybe it was Phil. I don't know. It says you can grow back your thyroid. Yes. I've heard the same. I didn't have any results. I think it's great for people who maybe have low functioning thyroid or maybe have had radioactive iodine where half of the thyroid is gone. I have nothing zero zilch, the the gland is completely removed, taken out. 
for me, even desiccated thyroid didn't work with me. And what happened was I ended up with a TSH of over 32 or maybe even higher. And I thought I was literally dying. I thought this is it. Like what's going on? Am I dying? So I, I kind of got to a point where because I have nothing, when I feel good, I'm like, I don't want to lose that. And so this is why desiccated, I couldn't go there because we couldn't get the dosing right. Oh, the desiccated pig thyroid? Yeah. So there's a few really good ones like Urfa is good. I think that's Canadian. There's another one just called thyroid. And those are great options for people. There was, there was a whole, there's a whole other reason, like for a long time, because I had thyroid cancer, they wanted to keep my TSH as close to zero as possible in order for the cancer to not grow back. So me going to a TSH of 32, because I was trying a desiccated option was just too scary for me. I just didn't want to mess with that and really have my thyroid function going up and down so much. Whereas if somebody has just a low functioning thyroid, it's a great option. Hmm, yeah. So I understood that desiccated pig thyroid was used before there were any synthetic medications, right? Yeah. And uh, a pig's thyroid is actually almost identical to ours. That's why it's such a great option. But you have nothing to go on figuring out where is your set point to start. That's where I had the issues. Cause they didn't want to throw me up too high and they, but then I ended up being too low functioning. So it wasn't good. And it could take a good couple of months to be balanced. This reminds me, desiccated pig thyroid, it, it, it moves me in the direction of peptide bioregulators is how different is that? And then could somebody who has thyroid dysfunction, maybe not the cancer, but just a irregular thyroid, how much can bioregulators uh, or peptides help? I don't know if I would ever go with regular peptides like synthetic peptides, but bioregulators can be fantastic in that it just kind of helps to restore that baseline, which is right for you, where you feel good. For someone like me, it would do nothing because I don't, a uh, bioregulator affects the organ. So if you don't have the organ, there's no point. Whereas if you're a person who's just got maybe sluggish thyroid, it would be wonderful for somebody who has a sluggish thyroid. Why, why wouldn't you try that option instead of, well, you could, then you, I think next level would be medicating and that would be like Urfa or thyroid, which is the desiccated pig thyroid, but bioregulators are a wonderful place to start. Yeah, we should explain a little bit what bioregulators are for those who don't know or haven't heard your podcast or my podcast on peptides and bioregulators. Sure. You'd like me to explain? Yeah. Okay. So there's peptides and then there's peptide bioregulators. The way that I see it is bioregulators. The ones that I actually work with are the ones that are considered animal supplements. They are not synthetic. They're not injectable. They are not intranasal. They're not sublingual. They are capsules and they are made from animal tissue and they are made with very short chain amino acids, only two to four amino acids in length. So you know how they say proteins are really, really hard to digest and assimilate. And these are like the tiniest, tiniest amino acid chains, and they're so easy to digest. And they basically, so everyone knows amino acids are the building blocks to everything, to healing. 
we need that. This is why they say eat enough protein in your diet. So bioregulators will go in because they are such short chain, they go in and perform the function that they need to perform very easily without worrying about digestion or stomach acid levels or anything like that, like it is when you eat a protein. As I understand with peptide, with the bioregulators, everyone's a little different. So it may take a few months or it may take a year. Is that in your experience? Have you had any clients with taking the thyroid bioregulators? The only thing that I have seen is myself because I've been on bioregulators, but I don't think it's long enough. So in my interviews, who you've met Phil, you've met uh, Dr. Bill, I call him Dr. Bill, and uh, you've met them. And in most cases, what we have are the studies. So what we have are the studies that are 40 year old studies out of Russia. We also have Dr. Bill's clinical studies that he's conducting right now. So we have about three years of data from those studies. And we know that it's not going to be immediate. And really what it is, is you need to assess what is it that you're trying to achieve? So for me, I have my own little protocol that I'm working on. And what's interesting is I've been on it for one month straight. And I, so I'm taking pineal, which is, you know, the pineal gland in the brain. My sleep has been really good. However, it's only been a month. These are not fast acting like peptides. So I've done peptides as well. These are subcutaneous injections. They're synthetic and they're much quicker acting. I am going to be on this protocol for at least six months, what I'm doing right now. And I do believe that depending on what your issues are, you need minimum, minimum six months and even longer. Like some of the studies, the clinical studies, he did get some results after eight months from the patients that are in these studies. But you know, you really need to commit, let's just say. Yeah, it seemed also from the interviews with Dr. Bill Laurence that with his studies, he's, he's having people, yeah, one to two years taking this. And then there's this maintenance part. And that, of course, depends on everybody that's different. But it's different than medication. It seems that you don't take it every single day for the rest of your life. And that's quite attractive. So if you can jumpstart your own thyroid production and balance that all out, why not? Now, what about when you go on medication? There's no other alternative. My husband has had thyroid cancer at 33. So he's been on L-thyroxin for 30 years now. (laughs) And so I don't think he's ever changed his dosage. Like, do you change your dosage? Uh, What does the average person do? Because through the life and maybe women are different than men. I don't know. Women are different than men. I'm just going to say these guys get off easy sometimes. Because I have changed my dose. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've changed my dose. I actually had to go back. I, my sir, my uh, endocrinologist, my first endocrinologist was actually one of the best known endocrinologists for the studies he's done in all of Canada, maybe even internationally. He's since passed, but I had to go to him and advocate and say, Hey, you need to give me T3. T4 is not working for me. We touched on the stress aspect. So what was happening was I was a very poor converter. So, you know, you could keep putting as much T4 into my body as you want, but I was still feeling like crap. I wasn't feeling good. After a while, 
he finally caved and he's like, all right, I'll give you T3. And so as soon as that happened, everything changed for me. So I say this a lot to clients who are on T4 to go back to their doctors and talk to them about adding T3 because women typically are just, we have to, like I said, at the start, we have to worry about our adrenal glands. What is the impact of our stress on our adrenal glands? Are we able to convert that T4 to T3? And so for me, stressful times of my life, what's going on with my menstrual cycle as well? Am I having heavier periods? Is my iron low? All of these things can affect that conversion and can cause lingering hypothyroid symptoms. And so I do change my medications and I have an incredible endocrinologist who checks my levels every three months. He's amazing. Every three months. Every three months. Yeah, he's amazing. I'm so lucky that I finally found him. Yeah. Well, well, anyone who needs a good endocrinologist, get in touch with Sandy. <laughs> He's actually from the States too. He's trained in the US. So, oh. but he lives in Canada now. He's amazing. Well, we'll have to get that number. I want to know what about those people who have been tested there with their thyroid and it seems a bit off, but they have zero symptoms. Yeah, we talked about that. It's interesting because I do feel that we are all unique. I do feel that way. And I'm not saying you're never going to have symptoms though. Maybe there's a delay. Maybe there's something to come. Maybe it's a signal that something's happening in your body and something's off. Maybe it's your stress levels. So I am not going to say every person must be at a TSH of one or every person must be because I do feel it is so unique. However, if it's super off, like if your TSH, let's say is at a six or at a 10 and you're not feeling anything, then I don't know, that could be something to come. It could be a foreshadowing of something to come. Interesting. So then what would you say are the natural ways to deal with thyroid issues? We're not going into the thyroid cancer, but just people who get blood work done, they figured out, okay, it's a thyroid issue. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's not. They don't feel great. What would you prescribe as a holistic nutritionist? Well, first thing I usually do, I provide every client with a drainage homeopathic. It's not a detox. Think of drainage as working with your organ systems to make sure that they are functioning properly. So without a major detox. So this is using homeopathics. I almost always recommend that. And it would be using homeopathic remedies that affect those organ systems. So often the culprit liver digestion, right? So those are key components. And then I am not a huge advocate of very, very strict diets. However, gluten can be really offending for a lot of people, especially if they have an autoimmune condition. So that is kind of like the one big one that I always say, try and just cut that down. The other thing we do is look at what's actually happening in the gut. What are the symptoms? What can we do to optimize that function in the gut? Then there's, of course, it's interesting because people are like, oh yeah, I'm eating my broccoli and I'm eating my cauliflower and I'm dipping it in this and I'm thinking it's so great. Well, eating it raw, not so great. If you have thyroid issues, 
you really want to cook all of your cruciferous vegetables. You don't ever want to be eating raw kale. Never. Don't eat raw kale. As, and everybody's like, oh yeah, kale. Kale is like, <laughs> what I do with kale actually is I put it in sauces and I cook it so that my greens are in my sauces and I'm getting the benefit and my family's getting the benefit that way. So those are some of the things I do with clients. And then there are other options to go a little bit deeper, such as different amino acids, like there's L-glutamine, which is a great amino acid. I actually even use that, you know, when my kids are having issues with their uh, complexion, I'm like, ah, time to tighten up those junctions in the gut. And I have them do a little course of L-glutamine powder. They might do it a lot shorter than a client, but often these are some of the things that we can do to impact the thyroid function without going on medication. But then there's, you know, medication. If you need it, you need it. And if you can go the natural route, I would say go for it before you go synthetic. Because with synthetic medication, there's always going to be some sort of a, I guess, a negative that results, you know, whether it's binders or fillers, or it's like something I'm constantly trying to detox. I'm wondering then if the dosage, like, because you're on medication, if somebody's on medication and they still struggle with their weight, is that something to do with trying to tweak it? Or is it something else? Because you've mentioned before, sometimes you still struggle with the weight. And is that related to your medication? Or do you think it's still stress or something else? That's a really good question, because I can't say definitively what it is. Because if I look at my activity levels, I work with a trainer very hard twice a week. And this is not, you know, this is CrossFit deadlifting a lot of weights and cardio. So I do that. I walk every day. I have two dogs. I am very active. I rarely sit down except for when I'm recording podcasts and I eat well. I probably love food a little too much being Eastern European food is a big part of my heritage. It's always been about the food. So I struggle Maybe it's because I'm 51, I'm close to menopause, other hormones are out of whack, because I do believe and everyone says this in the holistic health world, our hormones are like a perfect symphony. And I do believe that something can be off a little here. I know I personally struggle with estrogen dominance and have ever since my 40s. So that's another entire conversation. But estrogen can have an impact on thyroid which that might be the cause. But to say definitively what it is, I can't say because I kind of do all the right things, except I do love food, I probably eat too much. So there you go. <laughs> we all love food. We all love food. <laughs> so very interesting. So I'm going to wrap this up. And I want to open the uh, mic for anyone else who's here who have their own questions. Sandy, I love what you said about the cooked vegetables, because in Chinese traditional medicine, it's like, like you always like cook your vegetables, like there's no raw revolution whatsoever. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I've told Zora, like, you know, there's like sort of bottom line things as a Chinese person, I just won't do like I won't do ice baths, because it's just against every Chinese light medicine principle out there, you know. So I love what you said about that. I wanted to know what kind of food as medicine, I think you were the one who uh, mentioned the sole water, the seed cycling, and such and, you know, kind of um, 
you know, I just started the seed cycling. Um, I, I wanted to hear your experience on that. I think for women who are younger women, it works wonderfully. Seed cycling is just eating different seeds at different times of the month. So first two weeks, you focus more on the flax seeds and why? Because they're phytoestrogens. They help support your estrogen. Second two weeks, you're going to have, I think it's the sesame seeds. And really the key is if you follow this, it can really work, but it takes about three months. You have to be patient. It's not an immediate thing, but it can really help balance out those ebbs and flows so that your estrogen and progesterone are working more in tandem because you never want your estrogen to be up here and your progesterone to be up here because it's not estrogen dominance is not really about too much estrogen. It's more about the balance of the estrogen and the progesterone that causes the symptoms. Doing that is great. The sole water, if you want to know more about that, you can get in touch with me, but it's such a simple practice. And I started incorporating it again. One thing in holistic health, we tend to have like a million different things that we can do. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Vitamin C, liposomal vitamin C. I take that every time I work out. And why? Because your adrenal glands love vitamin C. They love it. Liposomal is a great you know, some practitioners say it's not necessary. You can do the vitamin C powder, but it's a high amount. It's like a thousand milligrams at once, uh, but you can take vitamin C. It's water soluble. Like you can take that till the cows come home. Well, you can't because you go to bowel tolerance and then maybe you just don't want to go there. So, you know, definitely vitamin C is a good one. I don't know what else you what else you wanted to know, Didi? Just to transition into the peptides, because I saw some other questions in the chat. Also, um, you said you were taking the pineal gland one, which is the one, Zora, you said you were taking as well, right? The epitalin, um, yeah. Oh, so you're doing the synthetic. I am, yeah. Yeah, I decided to try that one. I just ran out yesterday. Uh. <laughs> So I was wondering, like for the bioregulators, if you're doing any other ones in tandem, like the adrenal one, or are you just trying the pineal one first? I'm doing a lot. I'm doing blood vessel because blood vessel, they typically recommend blood vessel with every single peptide protocol because your blood transport, like you need to have your blood healthy, your blood vessels to transport your blood. So blood vessels always in a protocol. I'm taking blood vessel, pineal. I was taking ovary. I just finished yesterday. And the reason I took ovary was because I've just done a lot of research on the vaccine and I want to keep my period as long as I can. And I still have my period. I'm still getting it, meh, not always regular, but I'm getting it. And so I wanted to optimize ovary function. I'm taking, oh my gosh, liver. Hang on. I have a list if you really want to know, or, <laughs> or you can get in okay. touch with me, Didi, because honestly, I'm taking a whole slew and then I'm going to taper off for month two, three, four, five, and six in, in other areas that I really want to focus on. Thymus is another one that I'm taking as well, just to support the thymus gland and the immune system. So we can, we can talk after if you'd like. Yeah. I'd love to hear how that goes. I'm also, I'm just learning about it kind of freaks me out a little bit. I wonder, you know, like even for my hydrolyzed collagen, I'm like, Oh, I have to buy the grass fed one. Like I have no idea where these animals come from, like what part, you know, like what the source they are right? very so healthy. I, I'm still a little bit. I know, you know, for those who might be listening who are vegetarians, 
sorry, but they are animals. They are 12 month old calves and they are raised very, very clean. Okay. I personally do not put anything in my body that I don't know or trust the source. How do we know it's very clean? Yeah. How do we know? How do we know? Um, You have to trust the source, right? We're talking about um, these peptides that have been around for over 40 years. And I honestly, if you look at the the ethics of the people who are involved, I don't think that very, um, let's say prolific leaders would be taking these if it wasn't clean and a good source. And Dr. Bill does get into that in my my podcast with him. And he will with you too, Zora, I'm sure. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about that sourcing and kind of, you know, so I know it's not like these toxic ladies. No, God, animals. no. Listen, they're coming from, them. They're coming from <laughs> Russia, right? Peptides. And Putin takes peptides. And that was very clear. So but maybe I'm they're gonna, trying to kill him. <laughs> Well, I speak Russian. I used to live in Russia. I, the first chance I get to go back, I am going to go to the farms and find out. Yes, and you know. Sora, I love that idea. I'll go with you next year. When I visit my niece, I'll go with you. She's there. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll find out any other questions. Sylvina's got one. I have had thyroid uh, hypo for almost 30 years myself, and it's a roller coaster. Uh, But I'm going to start some sort of clean diet for three weeks. I have to give it a go. It's going to be difficult. But one thing that puzzles me is the legumes, because I've been told not to eat them. Apparently, they're really bad for the thyroid. What's your take? I, I don't eat much, but I do like the occasional... Lentils. In the winter, I love lentils, lentils and, and things like that. Are there, you said kale, but are, are there any other things that are sort of don't go there in your book? Well, I actually, I don't say kale unless it's raw. And I don't say broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, unless they're raw. I also, with legumes, I feel legumes can fit into any diet in moderation, and go by how they make you feel and cook them, right? So if you cook them, pressure cook them because I've been told only pressure cook ones. I've heard that too. But honestly, I personally, so my definite, definite is the gluten and the raw cruciferous vegetables. If you have thyroid issues, those are two of my definites. Everything else I believe can fit in moderation. And I think when we start to demonize certain food groups, that's when things can get stressful just in itself. Like, oh my God, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. And I've seen women like that and they're not getting any better. So my best advice is cook it, eat it once in a blue moon, because I think that all foods fit in moderation. Yeah, I love legumes too. And uh, when I was doing a lectin free diet, I was really sad. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to be sad. You don't want to be sad with your food. (laughs) I miss my my carbs. Um, So Magdalena, do you have any questions before we go? Thank you so much, Sandy. Yes, I would like to say uh, I agree with Zora. Your skin is amazing. I've noticed this lately. Yeah. Sandy, you look 30 plus. So from my side, you know, compliments. 
uh, you are doing a great job. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Now I'm by the pool. You know, I cannot talk that much because people are around. I'm trying to avoid the sun. I'm sitting under an umbrella, but I I'm trying, you know, to to listening to you. So great speech. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I do take some of those. Uh, I have a lot of tips from you, Magdalena. I started using those, the A313. Oh my gosh, that stuff is amazing. And then all those ordinary serums. So it's kind of funny because my husband's like, geez, are you going to come downstairs? Like you've been upstairs doing your face for how long? <laughs> but I'm like, I need to put all my serums on. I have like four of them. And, and I think that they're, and I stay out, I wear sunscreen on my face and I actually just completely like you, I'll, I, I do love the sun and I do sit outside, but I will completely cover my face when I'm outside. So I've got two more questions left before I let you go. What would you say to your 20 year old self now in retrospect that you're 51, right? Uh, you know what? It's really funny that you asked that because this quote that I'm going to tell you, it's going to be published in a book because it's another group that I'm part of. I, kind, I, I do believe it. I do believe it. And I kind of don't, but really it's nothing. The reason I wouldn't give advice to my 20 year old self is that I wouldn't be who I am right now. Had I not gone through all the stuff I've gone through, I wouldn't have gone back to school in my mid forties. I wouldn't have had, okay, God, like I wouldn't want my child to ever go through what she went through ever again. But I do believe that that changed me as a person. I used to be a smoker. I kind of look back and it's like, that was my journey. And I believe we all have a journey. If you do what you need to do to continue on your journey and listen to those signs, then it's going to take you where you need to go in life. And if somebody tells you don't do that and you listen to them instead of following your journey, I think that can impede that, that whole communication. Oh, so profound. I like that. Thank you. What about um, any more resources on thyroid health that people can find? Books, websites, any influencers, doctors? Yes, yes. I, I absolutely, if you're a younger woman, let's say 30s, 40s, even younger, Dr. Jolene Brighton is phenomenal. This woman, she just had a baby. I think she's 40 now or 41, something like that. She had her second baby and she's just unbelievable in terms of the wealth of knowledge she has and a lot with thyroid. I would go to her. Um, she talks a lot about Hashimoto's disease and she's just brilliant. If you're doing your own research, definitely get the book, Stop the Thyroid Madness. It is called Stop the Thyroid Madness. That is what set me on my own journey because this is before I went back to school, before I went back to college, because I was 41 when I had thyroid cancer. And I was like, what? I don't know what's going on. Like what's happening to me? It's an amazing resource to educate yourself so that you can advocate for yourself with your doctor. And then there's other ones. I mean, there's Dr. Amy, uh, is it Amy Meyer? She wrote a book on thyroid. I, I must have at least 10 books on thyroid. So Ooh, there's a lot out them. there. Send them to me. I'll put them in the show notes. 
everything we talked about today will be in the show notes on the hackmyage.com website. And I want to let people know, if you're listening, if you would like to work with Sandy Cruz, you can always get a free 30-minute discovery call if you mention Zora. Z-O-R-A. And uh, again, uh, but I bet you've already fallen in love with her and um, and can get working right away. If you want to reach out to Sandy, she's everywhere on social media. She's got a growing page on Instagram. She's also on Twitter and TikTok and Facebook, always Sandy K for her last name, Cruz Nutrition. She's also got some private Facebook groups and a podcast, Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. You got to go listen to it. She's got amazing people she's interviewed. You'll learn so much through her podcast. Just go and binge listen to them all. And she's also got a YouTube channel. I will put all of the links to all of her Facebooks, Instagrams, and social media in the show notes for the podcast. But you can remember Sandy K Nutrition, you'll find her everywhere. Are there any last parting words, anything you'd like to share before we go? The only thing I will say is our bodies are constantly talking to this to us always. And this term is used a lot gaslighting. And I know it's used a lot, especially women, we experience this a lot when we are experiencing symptoms. And I'm not a believer in masking them. I'm a believer in getting to the root. So always find somebody that you resonate with somebody who really will advocate for you and help you get to that root. And don't dismiss your own symptoms, your body's telling you what's going on. And so definitely, that would be my last words. Great advice. I love you, Sandy. Thank you so much for your time for your wisdom. This is just a wonderful opportunity for all of us to learn about thyroid. And thank you everyone who participated in all your questions. Have a good day. Good night. Good morning, wherever you are. Thank you, Zora. I'd give you a big hug right now. (laughs) Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.